some things stay with you. When I was a small child, my dad took me with him to a welder's shop where he was having some farm equipment repaired. As the welder began his work, I was amazed at his appearance. He wore coveralls over his clothes and a thick, large leather apron over his coveralls. He put on huge leather gloves that covered his hands and much of his arms. It made him look like a robot. Over his head, he placed a large metal helmet with a dark visor that snapped shut, covering his face. He reminded me of pictures of monsters from outer space I had seen in comic books. There were large tanks and hoses attached to these tanks, and on the ends of these hoses was a welder's torch. It was awe-inspiring. It was fascinating. It was exciting. And it was a little bit terrifying. My dad took my hand as the monster moved toward the broken tractor hitch. Don't look directly at the light, my dad told me, as the welder began his work. You'll damage your eyes. He covered my eyes with his hands, and I looked down. The white light of the welder's torch bounced off the floor, casting shadows around the shop. Now you can look, my dad said. The welder was finished. The light of the torch had been too bright to look at. The welder looked through darkened glass, and now I could look. I could see what he had done. The broken hitch was now whole. In the scriptures, especially the Hebrew scriptures, a bright Blinding light is how God is often revealed. God is a shining, dangerous light you dare not look at. The glory of God is white hot. It's like a billion stars. It will sear your retina. It will etch your psyche. So in our story from Exodus today, Moses is having a conversation with the unseeable unapproachable God. How shall it be known, Moses asks the Lord, that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? The Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. You have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Now that would seem to be enough. Moses gets everything he asks for. But Moses asks for one more thing. He asks if he can see the glory of God for himself. He wants to look into the face of God. Show me your glory, I pray, he says. You will see my goodness, the Lord answers. You will know my grace and my mercy, but I will not show you my face. You cannot see my face and live. If you look directly into the blinding light of my glory, you won't live to tell anyone about it. God is not safe, C.S. Lewis said of Aslan 
in the Chronicles of Narnia. God is not safe, but God is good. You can't put God into your pocket. And to look God in the face is a dangerous thing. Too much for you, God tells Moses. Then he tells Moses to move onto a rock. I will cover you with my hand, he tells him. I will hide you in the cleft of that rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then you can open your eyes. You will see the afterglow of my glory, but you will be safe. You will live to tell about it. By the late 19th century, some Christians had all but placed God in their pocket, set aside the mystery and the terrifying glory of God, swapped these for an explanation. They had looked at God and lived, or so they thought. Then their world was blown apart, and with it the illusion that God can be carried in your pocket, that we can make of God something whatever we want. Then we can make God in our own image, that we can make gods of ourselves, that we can make gods of our ideology, that we can substitute our glory for God's glory. Soren Kierkegaard took aim at this empty glory, as did Karl Barth. God, Barth said, is wholly other. Revelation and salvation are not something we accomplish, but are something that God accomplishes, that God does, Bart said. For Christians, this holy other God is revealed in the Word made flesh, the unapproachable God who lived among us in Jesus Christ. We have seen his glory, John says at the beginning of his gospel, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. We have seen God's glory and have lived to tell about it, John says. Only this glory was revealed paradoxically in suffering and death and in the improbable light of a resurrection morning. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the early morning belongs to the Church of the Risen Christ to be received with jaw-dropping wonder and gratitude. God's glory is hidden, waiting to be revealed in those places where we least expect it. I will take away my hand, the Lord tells Moses, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. To be human is to live in the wake of God's glory to follow the lingering light of God's mercy, to see God's backside. Jesus told his disciples, follow me. And when Peter got out in front of him, Jesus told him, get behind me. Whenever the disciples imagined glory for themselves, Jesus reminded them that God's glory is revealed in suffering and death, not in brutal conquest. It is revealed in love and justice, not in empty displays of power. God's glory does not stir up the worst in us. It stirs up the best in us. God's glory makes us more, not less human, and therein 
is revealed the image of God. There is something in us that is attracted to glory, attracted to light. We are like moths looking for stars to guide them, but instead spend their short lives beating their brains out against a light bulb, or they fly into a fire and are burnt to a crisp. The light of God's glory is different. It shows us the way from a distance. It's uh, not something that we can grab and keep. Empty glory will destroy us. God's glory shows us the way. It's important to know the difference between a light bulb and a star. We are attracted to shiny things. We have a short attention span. And there are lots of shiny things around us, especially in an election year. Lots of things to distract us. We are drawn to artificial light, and we are easily seduced by the promise of the empty glory that comes with power. In our gospel reading, the religious leaders and politicians of Jesus' day set a trap for him. Teacher, they say, we know you speak truth. You show deference to no one. So tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? If Jesus says yes, his followers, who hate the Romans, will reject him. If he says no, the Romans will arrest him. Jesus smells the trap, and he answers their question with a question. And he doesn't mince words. Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin you use to pay the tax. Jesus himself, interestingly, doesn't have the coin. They bring him the coin, a Roman denarius. Lifting it up, Jesus asks them, Whose face is on this coin, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they answer. If you're going to use Caesar's money, Jesus says, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But give to God what belongs to God. It's a clever answer that exposes their hypocrisy and the empty glory of the emperor whose face is on the coin they carry in their pocket the glory of a leader who claims to be a god. Give to Caesar whatever belongs to Caesar, Jesus tells them, but save the glory for God. When they heard this, Matthew tells us, they were amazed and they left him. Whose face are you looking for? Whose glory are you looking for? Be careful of the glory you seek. If it's empty glory, you will be able to look it straight in the face without losing your life. But if it's the glory of God, it will be scary. It will challenge your assumptions. It will humble you. It will ask you to give your life to others. It will not give you what you ask for. The glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ is a glory that gives itself away. A while ago, I wrote these words. Christians must decide whether to play take up your cross or capture the flag. Capture the flag is adrenaline driven. 
You climb to the top on the bodies of the vanquished. You throw your elbows. You push and you shove. You grab and gloat. You humiliate your enemies. But taking up the cross of Christ is different. It is a radical act of freedom, mercy, and love. You lift others up instead of tearing them down. You help people instead of hurting them. You climb down instead of pushing and shoving your way to the top. You lose your life and you find it. So it was for the Thessalonians. Paul writes to them, You have turned from idols to serve a living and true God. Your faith, Paul tells them, is known everywhere. In you, the glory of God is being revealed. So it is for us. What glory do you seek? If you can look it straight in the eyes, the alarm should go off. But if you find yourself covering your eyes in the presence of the holy, if you find yourself in the cleft of a rock, even though all hell should break loose around you, you will be okay. Trust God enough to follow him, to let go, knowing that God is with you and you are not alone. Amen.